What's going on, everyone? Mike O back with a new episode of Hobby Talk, here to talk about the world of sports cards, have a little fun, have a little conversation with Andy, who is she blinded me with refractors. He's on YouTube, Instagram. Andy, welcome to the show. Well, first off, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, I've always enjoyed these shows. I really, uh, I just like to get on here and talk about the hobby. So let's, uh, let's do it, man. Yeah, there's plenty to talk about in the hobby. The hobby of sports card collecting, it's been, uh, it's been a hobby that's obviously been around for generations, and it has found new life in the last 10 years or so, it seems, and more specifically, really in the last four or five, and then even the last three, four months. It just seems to continuously be kind of evolving, more people getting involved, people uh, going crazy with it, and of course, social media is part of the reason. Uh, I know you're on YouTube and Instagram. Let everyone know about your uh, channels and then a little bit about how you uh, got started in this hobby that we both enjoy. Yeah, so I started my YouTube channel, I would say probably about two and a half years ago. And, you know, I've been watching YouTube sports card videos for, man, I don't know, I'd say probably like a year before I really even thought about creating my own channel. Um, one of the first channels that I ever watched was Elite Co. 3, which is our friend Nolan. And, you know, I went down that rabbit hole and then, you know, you start getting suggested videos. So I started watching your channel. I started watching Mike, Baseball Collector. And at the time, I was actually pretty heavily into a 1994 Finest Football Refractor set. And I was kind of interested in showing that off to people. So I wanted to come up with a clever name and obviously, you know, collecting those refractors. I wanted to have refractors in the name. So if you're familiar with the the song, She Blinded Me With Science, I kind of combined the two and came up with She Blinded Me With Refractors. And I know many out there are a big fan of your channel name. I hear that very often. We're like, the best channel name, She Blinded Me With Refractors. <laughs> It just, it was honestly just kind of like something that just popped into my head one day whenever I heard that song. And I'm like, you know what? I collect refractors and they're kind of blinding. So let's just combine those two. And then I was kind of late to the game on Instagram. I think I've only been on Instagram for less than a year, but I've really enjoyed that as well. It's just another avenue to, you know, meet people that aren't on YouTube and, you know, just kind of expand you know, your friends that you make in this hobby. Yeah. And social media has obviously become kind of integral part of the hobby at this point. I mean, there's so much information to just kind of take in, to learn about different aspects, different sets. I mean, this hobby is sports cards in some way have been manufactured for, you know, over a hundred years. So just think about the amount of, uh, the amount of stuff out there. And then obviously, the different time periods in the modern day market, the modern day hobby, you know, just the different brands and the ever changing, the amount of sets. I mean, there's endless information and you're going to find people who are experts on all these different things. So information's big, but also, and it maybe has never been more important, but the friendships that you can grow 
here on this in this social media community of sports cards is uh, it's pretty important. It's a great way to share uh, the hobby because I mean, what's the hobby without having people to talk about it with, or you know, learn from, or kind of get advice from? So that's definitely a, a big time thing that I'm sure you also uh, enjoy. Yeah, man. Like I watch a ton of videos on YouTube and with the amount of videos that I watch and the amount of content that's out there today, like I can honestly say that I learn something new virtually every day about this hobby. And, you know, I've been, I started collecting when I was eight years old in 1987. I can still remember getting my first pack of 87 tops at a convenience store. That's how old I am. You know, I can still remember when they sold packs in convenience stores back then. And regardless of how long you've been doing this, there's always so much that you can learn. So yeah, it's, it's a great way to, like you said, meet friends, uh, create those relationships with people, other fellow like-minded collectors and yeah, it's just, it's really been great, Mike. And it's always brought to another level when you get to uh, meet, you know, in person and stuff. And we've had the chance at the National Sports Collectors Convention. Sadly, this year looks unlikely to happen. Obviously not going to happen when it was supposed to. But, uh, you know, that's where you really kind of get a sense of it. It seems like every year the National has been growing in size and scope as a show. But the interaction you get, and that's built... And that's formed through relationships on social media. So that's sadly something that we'll, in all likelihood, miss out on this year. But uh, it's, you know, unless you kind of get involved in that. So for people who aren't really involved, maybe they watch or listen from afar, don't be shy. Get involved because there's just so much. And they become real-life relationships. It's not just... Uh, you know, a comment here and a comment there. It's, you know, people that you can interact and talk, talk about sports cards and other things, you know, on a real level. So that's always awesome. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I mean, like last year, the National was a totally different experience for me. Like, I think it was my eighth National that I've attended, but it was by far the best one in my opinion. And it was you know, all because of the friendships and people that I had met through YouTube, you know, just being able to to meet everybody in person. Like you feel like you already know a lot of these people through their channel. And yeah, last year, man, it was great to just meet everybody in person. And I can honestly say that every single person that I met was pretty much like I envisioned them from their channel. So you get a lot of uh, a lot of real authenticity from you know, the people in this community. So it's, yeah, last year was great. And like you, I'm pretty bummed that we're not going to be able to, to do that at the end of this month and possibly not even in December, but we, we shall see things have been, you know, changing a lot lately and it's hard to really predict anything at this point. Yeah, it's just crazy because it would be interesting to know what it would be like this year. Like how many more people would, you know, meet up at a get together. Uh, obviously, the hobby has just continued to explode to the point where, at one point, I think it was a supply issue at retail stores because I mean vendors just weren't going out and uh, refilling the shelves as often as they typically would. But right now, it's just. Uh, 
you know, clear the shelves kind of scenario going on. I was at a Target and Walmart earlier this morning, and literally one had a couple boxes of XFL cards, and the other one had a couple clearance packs of top stickers 2018, and that was it. And, you know, they had been restocked at least in the last couple weeks. It's just they just slowly, everything disappeared. So, I mean, things are crazy. Obviously, the prices for rookies and parallels and all this stuff is just going bonkers. So it would have been kind of fascinating to see what an in-person show would have been. And, you know, you miss those. I know the Philly show is supposed to be in September and December. It's like I have no expectations of them actually happening, but I certainly hope they do. Because that opportunity to get out and look at cards and interact with people is just so special. Yeah, it's it's a bummer because I honestly believe that if the national were to happen at the end of this month, like it was originally planned, I think it was going to be the biggest national that we've ever had, due to the you know the hype, the excitement, so many new people getting in, um, you know, so many people that were in when they were kids or young adults coming back in. I think it was going to be something just, I mean, crazy. It would have been a spectacular event that, you know, we'll just have to imagine we'll have to, uh, you know, it'd be nice to set up some sort of uh, marathon live stream or something. One of those days and just kind of interact with people. That would be uh, pretty awesome. Maybe that's something that uh, one of, one of our, channels or one of the channels out there in the community can hopefully do uh you know with people who are interactive and you know involved in the community not just you know someone selling stuff off on the side but we'll see what happens before we uh get too far into this though andy uh just wanted to kind of hear your story a little bit about how you got uh started on your russell westbrook collection you're a big basketball guy big fan of okc how did that all come about? It's it's kind of an interesting story, Mike. So on the 4th of July in 2016, I woke up that morning knowing that Kevin Durant was going to make his decision on whether or not he was going to stay in Oklahoma City. So I get up, turn on ESPN, and it comes out that he's leaving us to go to the Golden State Warriors. So I don't know if – are you familiar with the show Curb Your Enthusiasm? Absolutely. So <laughs> in Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David, he, he starts a coffee shop next to Mocha Joe, and he's doing it out of spite. And looking back at how my Westbrook collection kind of started, it was almost out of spite, honestly. Like Kevin Durant had just left us. He was kind of like, you know, he was the the big guy in Oklahoma City. Um, Russell Westbrook was kind of viewed as his sidekick. And all of a sudden, you know, Robin becomes Batman. And so like a month after that happened, after Durant decided to leave, that was when I made my first big Westbrook purchase which was a 2008 Topps Chrome Refractor rookie and that's kind of what got it all started so I can kind of say that maybe I'm kind of like the the Larry David of the basketball card collecting community despite PC 
despite PC, and I'd always been a huge Russell Westbrook fan, but I'd never really collected a lot of his stuff. I think when when Oklahoma City first, when the Thunder first came to Oklahoma City, I think at that time I was probably collecting a lot more vintage baseball and stuff like that. So I didn't really get into collecting the Thunder players until later on. Like I'd had a few Kevin Durant rookies and stuff like that, which I immediately sold. I had like a lot of Kevin Durant t-shirts that I immediately got rid of, never wore again. You know, so it was it was kind of like, yeah, it was a spite collection in the beginning. It's funny. It's just weird the way you kind of when you're collecting how you get involved or interested in different projects. It's just like one day you just make a decision and you're like, ah, maybe I'll buy a card or two. And then next thing you know, kind of go full force into different things, whether it's making a set or collecting a player, whatever it may be. But that's what makes the hobby fun and interesting because there's always uh, a different reason behind it and kind of different motivations. And the good thing about a strong, healthy market is if you change your mind or you want to reshift focuses, usually you have a market to uh, be able to move some of your collection, whether it be via trade or sale, and then kind of reinvest those funds in being able to buy something else that you want for the collection. So that's always, uh, you know, really good when you have a crazy market like we have right now in the sports card hobby. Yeah. And, you know, my Westbrook collection, like it started off with just that with just that first card. And so I kind of started off really slowly with it. And, you know, over the past couple of years, I've kind of amped it up a little bit, um, which is, which, you know, might seem odd since he really, you know, he doesn't even play for us anymore. (laughs) So, but to me, he's always going to be, you know, my favorite Thunder player of all time. And, you know, I think the, the fans here really appreciate what he did for this city after Kevin Durant left, because, you know, he very easily could have demanded a trade at that time. But, you know, the kind of player that, that Westbrook is, you know, he, he likes the challenge and he took the challenge on. And I think the people here, myself included, are always going to be grateful for that. And so I continue to collect him. He's still my favorite player, even though he plays for the Rockets. Now I cheer for the Rockets whenever they're not playing us. We kind of joke around because they have Russell Westbrook and James Harden, so we just kind of call them OKC South. <laughs> what um your area there, like besides the Thunder, is there any specific teams people kind of collect? Like what's considered local? Is it lo- local favorites or is it just kind of a mix when it comes to other sports? Um, Well, obviously the Thunder for basketball – I think NFL wise, like we have some people that like the Dallas Cowboys, um, you know, they're relatively close. Um, Baseball, a lot of people seem to gravitate towards the Texas Rangers. So, you know, with with Thunder being the only pro sports team in town, I mean, they really, you know, have a pretty crazy fan base here. So it's 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 been really neat having having a pro sports team here because. You know, before 2008, you know, we just we just didn't have any professional sports here. Yeah, it's kind of obviously everyone can get lost in their own situation. But growing up in and around the Philadelphia area, obviously, you know, it's a city that has always had the four major sports covered. And then there's just so many other bigger cities that are fairly close. So, I mean, 
within like a six hour drive in every direction, there's so many, there's like, you know, dozens of professional sports teams. Sometimes you have to, you kind of think about certain areas of the country. It's like, man, what is it like to be in a once, you know, a one sport city or something like that? And that's what I, I guess in a way, like with the hobby, it's, it's hard for me to believe, not believe, but like think about sometimes like the competition to chase retail products has always been pretty fierce in the local area I am. And there's just always been a strong interest in sports, Northeast, very passionate sports fans. And the collecting market's been really strong for a long time. Obviously going back generations to the vintage stuff that occasionally you can still find it, maybe a garage sale or an auction uh, where people are unloading stuff. They just kind of find it in a closet and it's like you head out to Oklahoma City and I mean obviously the card market is fairly strong there based on you know what I've heard from other people having a tough time finding finding products on the shelves and stuff but do you kind of find like that it's a pretty strong passionate uh collector base uh generally speaking yes and as far as like the retail products that you're talking about like it's virtually impossible to find anything retail here locally um I can like the last time that I found any retail product that I felt was worth purchasing was back in early January. And that was prism basketball. Um, since then, like there's been several different basketball releases and I have not seen a single pack of any of those here. And we do have, you know, it's interesting because even, even as a one pro sport town, we have three card shops and one of them, you know, is a, is a pretty, a pretty big one and a really good one. Um, Mikey Mantle sports cards. I've seen I him mean, show sure up on a lot of videos, uh, over yeah. on YouTube. a few, a few different channels he's, that we've mentioned. So always looks like a it's great just guy. A, be a great time to check out that shop. Yeah. He's a great guy and their shop is just, you know, top of the line shop. I mean, like they have vintage, modern, they have all sports. I mean, it's, and he has, you know, just an an incredible collection and he's just such a generous and fun guy. Like, you know, you can, you can go in there sometimes and he'll just be like, here, open this, you know? (laughs) I mean, he's just, he's just a really fun guy. Like he has a lot of fun with it. I'm pretty sure it was one of your videos where you went there and I think he was showing off like one of those big fat head things or something of JT Real Muto because I guess he's uh, yeah. from Oklahoma City. So yeah, that was pretty fun to see as a, as a Phillies fan, you know, getting to enjoy watching JT uh, play last year. He had a fantastic season. Hopefully get to see him this year. We'll see uh, how things pan out. Obviously they're scheduled to play, but we'll see. But uh, Real Muto is one of those guys. Doesn't get a lot of hobby attention. He's a catcher in baseball. They typically don't. Um, and he was buried in Miami for a few years, but a fantastic player for sure. Oh yeah. I think you could, you could make a strong case that he's probably the best catcher in baseball right now. Oh yeah. He's, he's really good at calling the games and, uh, obviously defensively throwing out runners. And again, that doesn't necessarily equal hobby attention. It's kind of all about what you do with the stick, but, uh, JT real Muto, he's someone, you know, might be worth buying if you can find it decent price on a card i picked up a few of his rookies uh early in the off season you know before things went crazy thankfully 
he was uh, JT Realmuto was actually he was a very good high school quarterback here in Oklahoma as well. Well, I think he did okay choosing baseball. I think he made the right choice. He's uh, he's only at this point a couple months now away from free agency, so we'll see how he does. Because um, obviously we have an uncertain, uh, I guess, future when it comes to baseball and in terms of you know when they're going to be able to have fans. Obviously, these owners have plenty of money, generally speaking, but we'll see with long-term contracts how what kind of effect that has. But getting back to cards, uh, I want to get your thoughts a little bit about, I mean, I guess this crazy market, the market's been nuts. I've already mentioned that. I think everyone, anyone involved in collecting right now knows that prices are just through the roof. Football, I know Prism football has gone up a lot. I was like browsing eBay the other day. I don't even know how I saw it. I saw like a Nick Chubb Prism PSA 10. It was like $78 or something. I was like, oh, I bought like a pack or two of Prism last year and I got one. I sent it in, got it graded just kind of for the hell of it because I was like, oh, he's a good player. Got a 10 and I was like, it doesn't really fit the collection. I think I sold it for like 20 bucks at some point because that's about what it was going for. I was like, why is that card $78 already? I don't even know if the auction was over. So like football's up, baseball's up despite them not playing. But basketball is a whole nother level. Obviously, you're a lot more familiar with basketball than me, but I know the international market plays a role. I know the fact that these guys are a little more individualistic in terms of recognition because they're smaller teams, kind of bigger stars. But, I mean, are those two key factors with basketball is kind of the star power and the international kind of money coming in? Like, in your opinion, why is basketball just so crazy through the roof where, you know, some of these rookie cards, Gem Mint 10, modern players from the last year or two are like uh, over $1,000. It's kind of mind-numbingly crazy. Well, you you hit on a few of the points there. Obviously, the international market plays a huge role. Um, there's a lot of big time basketball card collectors that, that live overseas and, you know, they have deep pockets and, you know, they're not afraid to, to let their, to put their money to work. So that plays a big factor. The star power, like you talked about, you know, I think one of the things like in football, I've heard a lot of people say this, like in football, you know, a lot of times you don't you don't see the players' faces as much, so they're not as recognizable. And then baseball, I've just always kind of felt, and you'll have to give me your thoughts on this as well, but I've always felt baseball just doesn't do a very good job of marketing their players. I mean, with you know Mike Trout being as good of a player as he is, you know, you could go into just a random a random room and ask everybody in the room if they know who Mike Trout is, and there's going to be a lot more people say no than what there probably should be. I think baseball does a piss poor job to be honest with you. And I don't know when that started or why that started. I don't know if it's like, obviously there's always, there's a history of tension between owners and players associate, you know, the players association and the owners. We saw that, you know, just in the last month or so. And we're going to see that again probably in a year or two. Like, I don't know if it has something to do with that. Like, it doesn't make sense. Because I remember growing up and seeing Tony Gwynn and Ozzie Smith and these players, these stars of the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s on TV commercials. Like, I remember watching the real Ghostbusters cartoon 
And I remember seeing advertisements for either Topps baseball cards or, you know, commercials for starting lineups or even commercials for whatever, like potato chips or candy or something, whatever it was, maybe big league chew. And you would see these players in commercials and that really doesn't seem to happen much anymore. Sure. You get Mike Trout in the occasional commercial that's running prime time, not when kids are watching. Um, I just, you would think Major League Baseball would find a way to take advantage of the free advertising almost out there. They would encourage players, and obviously you don't want guys going out there causing controversy, but you would think you'd do something with social media, whether it's free video clips or tweeting out clips or having players like being more involved with fans. I don't know exactly what the answer is, but... They certainly have not done a good job, and they're getting kind of left in the uh, left behind big time by basketball, uh, and it's it's pretty incredible. Well, like you said, like when when we were kids, baseball was cool, right? And you know, baseball was king at that time. And with this new generation, I think a lot of it has to do with the time that it takes to play a game of baseball versus the time it takes to play a game of basketball. It seems like, you know, in this era of multitasking and everything is so fast paced, uh, a lot of kids that I've talked to, they, they seem to think that baseball is boring where, you know, those of us that grew up watching baseball and, you know, still enjoy watching it. We're into all the little details and things like that, where these kids are just like, they're wanting action, you know, all the time, action, action. So you can, you know, I think you can probably play two NBA games in about the same time that it takes to play one major league baseball game. So I think that's a factor. And then the social media stuff, like there's, you know, more and more kids these days are interested in sneakers and stuff like that. And that's where the NBA does a great job. And that, you know, that kind of all started with with Michael Jordan. And that's just really amped up even more so as the years have gone on. So I think that I think those things play play a major role in it. I think some of the some of the new young baseball players and I know some people get upset with with guys like Acuna and Soto because they think they're a little bit too flashy, but. You know, I think that's a lot of the kids, they're they're into that kind of swag. And I think that's something that may actually help baseball. Yeah, I think I know last year what they have let, let the kids play or something was kind of their advertisement that they were trying to uh, push there during the postseason. And I do yeah. think that's important, you know, whether you love it or not. You don't want guys uh, showing – you don't want guys being completely disrespectful to a pitcher or something like point, you know, whatever. There's a fine line there, but I think celebration, of course, I don't think is an issue at all. And I think that brings excitement. I mean, I just think with like social media, they should baseball so tight with this stuff, like still with MLB TV, you don't get your local team. Um, you know, they, they just make it so difficult to watch a game, too. There should be more afternoon games or earlier starts. It should be more accessible. Sure. I mean, I guess it's great when the cable network ponies up hundreds of millions of dollars per year, but less and less people are watching it because less and less people have cable, less and less young people specifically have cable. Um, so 
I think it's it's pretty important to uh, have more nationally televised games at reasonable time periods, and I really think they got to start making highlights and condensed games and stuff like that kind of more available. Especially, they should have something for kids who like to like create stuff, like video stuff. They got to do something with like making it accessible to use those images and video clips. Like have some have some kind of app available where kids can like remix clips or something, make kind of like music videos or something of their favorite players, like highlight reels or something. I think things like that are important, and I think baseball sometimes. Uh, gets too worried about trying to maximize their profits for today rather than thinking about, well, what's best for, uh, you know, tomorrow? What can we do to make money today, but also build it long term? So that is definitely a an issue with baseball. So, I mean, you know, basketball is obviously not having much of an issue with that because, you know, they have some of the biggest stars of the four major sports as of now, as we kind of generally define them. Yeah, I think and I think baseball has had they've had that issue for a while now where, you know, they they constantly, you know, shoot themselves in the foot with with things like you're talking about, you know, just they're they're way too looking way too short term and they're not looking at the big picture a lot of times. Yeah, they have too many guys. You have someone like Mike Trout is too good to not be kind of a pop culture kind of icon type of player. And there's too many guys that are incredibly talented, like Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, um, guys like Francisco Lindor that have great personalities. Like these guys should be superstars. They should be plastered all over the place, featured in commercials, you know, be on advertisements. They really, they do have to get their kind of stuff together sooner rather than later with promoting their players and their sport. Obviously football, um, generally, you know, you have some of these guys that show up on the cover of Madden and they just become, uh, you know, big stars that, you know, kids get interested in. Obviously, football has a really unique setup where it's that once per week during the course of those four months or so and then, you know, the postseason. So football is kind of a really easy setup in a way. Uh, to get people to pay attention, but baseball with the longer form, you know, they're going to have to do more work and basketball's, you know, fairly long season as well, 81 games, but they just do a much better chance, you know, or a better job, I should say, promoting these players. And, you know, they kind of focus on what's popular today and it works out for them. And we're seeing that kind of take over in the card market a little bit. Oh, it definitely, definitely plays a factor. All right. So the market is obviously nutty it's bizarre prices are out of control like what are your thoughts on where we are in terms of the current pricing of sports cards and rookie cards and all this stuff like do you think it's peaked are we at a peak right now do you think it's still going to continue to rise or is it just as unpredictable as everything else in the world because Every time I think it can't go any higher, I'll take a couple weeks off. Then I go on eBay and kind of check those recent sales of certain cards or products. And I'm just like, huh, went up again. Well, first off, the the way thing, the way prices are right now, it's great for the cards that you already have in your collection. And it's not so good for the cards that you're looking to add to your collection. Especially when it's a card that you're like, oh yeah, I was going to buy that like two months ago and then I got sidetracked and I forgot and I just didn't pull the trigger yet. And uh, man, maybe it's too late. Absolutely. And 
as far as like where does where do things go from here? I mean, obviously none of us have the answer to that, but I would say that we're still kind of like early on in this process because there's there's just so many new people that are in this hobby and I think they are just kind of learning and just getting started. And a lot of the people that are coming in, they are spending a lot of money. And I, I just, I don't see the momentum slowing down anytime soon. I mean, obviously things can't go up forever, but I still think that the key cards of the key players are going to continue to rise because I mean, right now, even even on things that have, you know, a pretty good amount of supply out there, the demand is just like nothing I've ever seen. So I, I do think that these prices, like for the big superstar guys in each sport, are going to continue to go up, at least in the short term. Yeah, it's just crazy to think all the kind of wackiness of the world and it's just completely paralleled for us in the hobby that you know we've been part of for a long time and just some of the stuff is just unbelievable it definitely it's amazing because in one sense which you just kind of stated you know there might be a card you're interested in and you're looking at it and like do I really want to spend this much on it when I know it was available at this price for such a lengthy period of time but on the, you know, in that part, you're kind of frustrated. But then when you just kind of take a moment, and you look at what you do have, and you flip through, and you're like, oh, oh, wow, oh, yikes, this was a, you know, fifty dollar card, and suddenly it's five hundred. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of it's, bizarre yeah. land. But I don't know. That's the way twenty twenty's been in general. Bizarro. It's difficult, like you said. It's difficult to look at a card that was. You know, like when you were looking at it initially and you were thinking about picking it up, it was, let's say, $50. And now you go back and look at it and it's, you know, four or $500. It's, it, it does like that. You still have that $50 price tag in your head of the price that it was. And that's just not where we're at anymore. So that's where you have to, you know, you have to make the decision like, how badly do I want this card? <laughs> And if it's, you know, if it's like a, you know, if it's a key card of a Mike Trout, a Patrick Mahomes, a Ronald Acuna, LeBron James, you know, one of those elite, elite players, like my, my feeling is you better get it now if you really, really want it, because I just don't see this, this train slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, I think you do with the rise in prices. I think that means you have to be, especially when it comes to higher price cards, you have to be a little more selective and kind of think about it. And if it is a superstar, if it's an all-time great, then probably now's the time to pick it up, despite the fact that the price may have doubled in the last six months. Because um, you might fast forward six months and go, oh, I wish I picked it up six months ago. But you yeah, do want to be careful with the hype, like the kind of the random hype that doesn't necessarily make sense. There are certain players out there that seem to get hyped up and the prices start doubling and tripling. And you're like, wait, why is this happening? Is this guy really um, that big of a name? Are they in line for that big of a career? Are there that many collectors? So that's something you do want to be careful with because 
you know, inevitably there's going to be some market volatility, especially once, you know, teams start playing, guys start performing. There's going to be some guys who will be negatively affected by getting back on the field for sure. Someone like Mike Trout, probably not so much because even if they play a full 60-game season, he is not playing 60 games. He may... I mean, his wife's due in early August, so he's going to certainly miss some time. You know, how much, who knows. But he's already been established as a future Hall of Famer. And that's that's a great point that you bring up there, is what happens when these guys start playing games again? Because the fascinating thing about this time period that we've just, that we're, you know, experiencing right now where there has been no sports of any kind is no one is struggling right now. No one's getting off to a slow start. No one's having a bad season. So it will be very interesting to see, like, you know, if a if a Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna, if they get off to like a slow start or something, how will their how will people react to their cards? Will will people, you know, just kind of like bail or will they will they look at it long term? Because these guys are super young. So that that is the that is gonna be the key is to see how you know, especially the the new big money that's coming in. How are they going to react when one of these guys gets off to a slow start? Yeah, especially with the flipper culture that's kind of developing very rapidly in sports cards. You know, how many how many guys are going to try and dump right off if they don't understand? Because Acuna and Soto are set up for long term success. They're both incredibly young. I mean, Acuna's numbers last year were incredible. Soto on a World Series winning team. But then you have, you know, the next level of rookies, the guys last year, like a Fernando Tatis Jr., Guerrero Jr., guys that still have even more to prove. I mean, if you really look at it, like Tatis is incredibly talented, could be amazing, has all the tools to be an all-time great. But his numbers aren't probably as good on paper as his card prices would make you think. And he missed the you know last month or two of the season with an injury. So it's like a guy like him, you know, if he gets off to a really so- slow start or you know only plays a handful of games and gets hurt, I mean, that's the type of kind of player I would you know be a little bit concerned about for sure. Guys like that, yeah, and not that Acuna and Soto are super proven because they've all, both only been around for the last few years, but they've kind of cemented themselves in a way to show what they can do the guys who haven't done that i'd be super concerned about and i think you know people people that have been in this hobby for a long time collectors like yourself myself a lot of the people that we know in this community like i don't worry as much about about people like that jumping ship on these players because i think a lot of us you know that have been doing this for a long time we're we're in you know we're in this long term Regardless, you know, we've been doing this for many, many years and we're going to do it for many more years. But yeah, like it's, it's going to be interesting to see like how how some of the new people react, because it's it's just inevitable that not every player is going to go out and just have like a career year and light the world on fire. There's going to be guys that struggle for, you know, a month or two or maybe even the whole season. And that's that's the kind of stuff that I'm interested to see how how some of these newer people react to that. Yeah, it could be fascinating. It's going to be a fascinating baseball season. I mean, obviously, hockey and basketball, they had the bulk of their season. So when they come back, it's going to be more about the postseason. Uh, But baseball like this is the full season, 60 games. I mean, 
in the regular season, if you lose seven games in a row, it's it's rough. It's a bad stretch. But in a 60-game season, that's like losing 20 in a row. It's going to be really interesting because, you know, if you struggle for two or three weeks, I mean, that's going to really negatively affect your numbers. You know, I would hope most people understand this is an abnormal year, of course. So I'd be careful overreacting to a guy who kind of lights the world on fire. And, you know, I I would try not to panic too much about a guy who struggles for half the year, but we kind of know the way people are, you know, in today's uh, world where it's kind of can be, what have you done for me lately? So it's inevitable that you're going to have some you know, some people that just come out of nowhere and they just, you know, start off super hot the first couple of weeks of the season, which normally wouldn't be that big of a deal. But this year, you know, you come out and kill it for like two weeks. You're like an MVP candidate, you know, it is crazy because the season is so short. It's going to be weird, but I'm looking forward to it. Obviously I'm hoping everything works out and it happens. Uh, it's going to be a bizarre year. There's probably going to be players who get sick and end up not playing that we think are going to play. So, I mean, those are all kind of weird factors. But I think you just have to toss this year out the, out of the window and just kind of take whatever you get as just kind of like a bonus. You know, we could easily just get nothing at all. So, I mean, we'll see how it kind of affects guys' long-term careers and career numbers. I mean, I was really worried about that at first at one point, like, oh, man, these guys are all going to miss a year. And then you kind of think back to all the greats of the past and how many guys missed two, three, four years due to, you know, participating in the war. So I don't know that that's the biggest excuse. It certainly will hurt some guys and some of the older guys are going to miss milestones due to it. But I think we're kind of heading and already to a degree at a point where people are looking more at quality of play rather than compilation of numbers we've seen that with pitchers in baseball in the hall of fame um not putting as much kind of stress on total wins compiled we see it with awards like uh cy young award so i think you're going to look at the quality of the season the quality of the player a little more than you are like the just the raw numbers that they compiled during the year anyways oh yeah definitely i think the the way that people view statistics has has really evolved and I, I think that, you know, when people look at these players, you know, 15, 20 years from now, I think this this season is going to be, you know, looked at totally differently than, you know, a regular season would be. See what happens, but there's certainly plenty of products to choose from when it comes to the hobby, because uh, once the kind of printing pr- printers got going uh, for tops, they uh, I don't think they've shut them off since, so. Got a lot to look forward to, especially with Chrome. We've got Topps Chrome coming out in another month or so, and then we've got Topps Chrome Sapphire, which will inevitably drop be dropping at some point. We've got Topps Chrome Black coming out at some point, and uh, Topps Allen and Ginter Chrome coming out this year. And I think I saw Ben Baller, one of the artists involved in Project 2020, announced that he's going to be doing a uh, an exclusive Topps Chrome set. So there's going to be a lot of Chrome cards coming out. So, so many uh, products to choose from. But one of the things that I guess it's been, it's been valuable for a while, but I feel like a whole new light's been shed on it uh, lately, or at least a lot of focus, but sealed wax. Sealed wax is something that is hard to keep sealed sometimes because there's always that temptation to rip it. And most people can't contain themselves, but I know you've, uh, kind of collected some sealed wax in the past what are what are your thoughts on some of the rising prices in sealed wax and it 
some of it, you know, obviously vintage wax, truly vintage from 70 years ago. It was incredibly rare, but even stuff from the 80s, junk wax baseball has actually risen in price. But early 2000s, mid 90s, all that stuff's incredibly hard to find. But even the prices of stuff from two and three years ago has kind of taken off. It's It's been really interesting because a lot of the stuff, like you mentioned the junk wax era, a lot of that stuff that, you know, those of us that have been in this hobby for a long time, you know, we've joked for years and years and years that that stuff would never be valuable. And then all of a sudden, some of it is, you know, it's it's just incredible with that stuff. And then you look at some of the harder to find wax and with the way that the breaker culture is today where people are doing group breaks and stuff like that. So much of the new product gets broken at release. So it gives you a good opportunity if you can get a hold of some of this wax, some of the desirable products at a reasonable price when it comes out and, you know, just just hold it for a few years. Just kind of see what happens. Let it, you know, I like to say let it marinate a little bit and I've, yeah, like I've, I've collected some sealed wax over the years and it's <laughs> almost always goes up in value, especially if you're, if you're picking the, the popular products. I mean, because over the course of, you know, two or three years, it's very likely that somebody from that product is going to break out at some point. And some of that wax that we've, you know, kind of discounted from a couple of years ago, all of a sudden becomes really super popular. And, you know, I like to use, I like to buy wax, hold on to it, kind of see what happens with it. If it gets up to a price where I feel like it's time to get out, I'll go ahead and sell that. And then I put that money towards, you know, some cards for my collection that I probably wouldn't be able to buy otherwise. Yeah, and it's crazy how like products change and develop. Like 2018, I remember 2018 Tops Update, seeing the blasters on the shelves a ton. And I think I bought one or two and broke them on camera just to do a box break on the channel when they came out. And for whatever reason, I just did not break much 2018 Tops Update. It's one of the few products even that year that I just didn't break a lot. And now I think back and I'm like, those blasters are like a hundred bucks a piece. And I probably could have bought like a hundred of them for, for $20 a piece and really didn't do it. Uh, didn't buy and hold any of those. So it's amazing how things kind of change and evolve. Um, and that's, with, that's with that being said, I did like... pick up some of the Chrome update and I still have a few of them and that's taken off as well. But it's just, I know it's weird. It's like... Things just change and people, you know, rookies break out even more so and things become a little tougher to find. And next thing you know, everyone wants it and those prices spike and then even more people want it. Yeah. And, you know, our friend Eric has been saying this for years. You know, the population report on these graded cards over time, those can only go up. Right. But the unopened wax, as more and more of it gets opened you know, the more scarce it becomes. And sometimes I think that wax, it does reach a price point where it just doesn't make a lot of sense to open it anymore because, you know, you're like, 
what what am I looking to pull here? You know, like you can sometimes the price will get to a point where you can pull one of the best cards in the product and you can get it graded by PSA, SGC, BGS, whoever. It can grade a Jim Mint 10 and you still may only break even on the box because people people are buying the unopened stuff to keep it sealed because it's becoming more scarce over time and the the math just doesn't add up to to open it at a certain point yeah i guess 2018 tops update you know you're looking at hobby boxes that i think are like five six hundred dollars right now and they were about probably 45 50 dollars uh black friday of 2018 yeah like right now i mean it's a product where you could do okay. I mean, you could get a Soto or two and a Kuna or two. And if you hit all gem tens, I guess you could break even on it. Of course, the, the Otani, I believe, has risen a lot. So there's a ton of rookies in there. So there's a lot of opportunities to get money back on just base cards, which you have an incredibly likely um, possibility of pulling. Though, you know, those paper cards can be a little more difficult to get gem mints on than one would expect. I mean, the hit is most likely going to be a relic that's worth like three bucks. Like that's incredibly likely. Now, of course, if you get a parallel gold Mother's Day, something even lower of one of the uh, key rookies, obviously you're going to do really well. But the likelihood of even getting one of them is not good. Uh, you know, to get one of those parallels is tough. And then with 350 cards set to get the player you're looking for, it's difficult. So it is quite the gamble. I mean, I think it's a gamble to break wax, you know, just paying its initial kind of suggested retail price when you factor in those premiums. Hey, there's people who do it clearly, but it's uh, tough. I mean, you got a website like vintagebreaks.com. They're obviously crushing it over there. I mean, they're filling breaks nonstop. And I would think that's uh, – it's a type of company that if you're holding wax, you probably enjoy seeing their success because they just seem seemingly just perpetually ripping open rare products. And like you said, yeah, less and less available. It's, it's just, it, it basically comes down to like how much, how much are you willing to gamble? Like on the example that you used with the tops update box, you know, if you, if you had held those boxes for a couple of years and you know, you can sell those for 500 now, See, I would rather sell that, and if I really wanted the the Stodos and Acunas, I can go out and buy a couple of Jim Mint copies of that of those cards without taking any risk of opening the boxes, and you know maybe I get shut out entirely, or maybe I get some and they, you know, they're not in very good condition. So it just, I don't know. I just, I'm not. I guess like over the years, like you know, the old me probably would open those boxes, but I guess as you, we all evolve as collectors over the years. And I I'm just to the point now where I would rather buy the singles. I think in that case, it's clearly the wiser move for sure to just buy the singles, get exactly what you want. Um, and not risk kind of draining some extra money. You don't have to, it's definitely the smartest move, but it definitely is fun to, uh, break wax as well. And can certainly be fun, you know, be entertainment. You got to kind of count that fun factor if you're breaking wax. Uh, but if you're oh, breaking yeah. wax and at, you know, five, six hundred dollars a box, that fun factor better uh, spike up quite a bit. Cause right. You're and, definitely... Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like there's there's still no matter how long you've been in this hobby, there's nothing like pack pulling 
one of those big cards yourself and having it in your collection because you have that you have that moment and that memory that's going to go along with that card and every time you look at it it's going to take you back to that excitement when you pulled that card so that's that's one thing that you just you can't replicate that so i mean i (laughs) i still i still enjoy opening packs occasionally most of the time like when i open packs it's going to be retail stuff that i find you know at target or walmart and that just has not happened for me this year so that has i think my my opening has uh slowed down considerably but it's just because of a lack of opportunity (laughs) yeah there's no doubt it's tough but there's something special about pulling a big card and you know having it in your pc because you know just like you said you kind of you have that moment that extra meaning to that card which is awesome it's definitely uh amazing to have so i mean i encourage whenever people like message me or talk to me and they're like well what do you think and i just always say listen it's got to be fun first you got to collect what you like certainly if you're putting time and energy into a hobby you want there to be value for a number of reasons right you want there to be value so whoever you pass it on into the future has something worthwhile Uh, You want it to have value, so if something in life changes, you want to be able to move it and use those funds for something if you're kind of in a pinch. And, I mean, everyone just wants something they have to have value. You don't, you know, we anyone could, you know, collect dirty pennies and they'd be worth a penny apiece, but that maybe is just not as exciting as, you know, collecting something that has some sort of value. But to me, you got to collect what you like, collect what you want and assume and know that you will, like you said, evolve as a collector. You're going to change. Like you're going to get into ripping wax and then you might get into grading and then you might get a little more into rookie cards. And then you might, you know, you might be into the modern stuff now, but you might look back on the stuff from the eighties and nineties. If you're of that age and, you know, for the nostalgic purposes, then you may get into the history of the various sports and find more interest in some of the rarer examples of vintage stuff. Like there's just so much, there's so many layers to collecting that you just have to realize you're going to change and you want to, it's all about enjoyment. You got to enjoy it and you got to share it and have, have fun with it. But that doesn't mean that the financial aspect of it is, isn't important. It's definitely a key and important factor, but you just got to do a little bit of everything. And that's kind of the way I always look at it is listen, enjoy it all a little bit. Just of course, find what you're most interested in. And then, you know, focus can be a very important thing. Absolutely. Like that's, you know, like for, for new people that are coming into the hobby, like I think a lot of them are, are coming into it because they hear about, Oh man, this card sold for this much. And, you know, I got it out of a a $2 pack or whatever. And so they're gravitating towards these channels that, you know, are talking about investing and stuff like that. The best advice that I could give a new collector is try to, you have to try to decide what kind of collector do I want to be and find some kind of focus because there's so many products that come out all the time. It's so easy to get overwhelmed with everything. So you kind of have to like, you know, find what, what is, what is going to be my purpose here? Like what, like, am I going to be a player collector? Am I going to be, you know, a box opener? Am I going to buy singles? You know, 
you try to you try to find out and you can do like a little bit of each but you kind of have to allocate you know a certain amount of time and resources to to each thing and you know figure out where where do you want your collection to go kind of look at a little bit big picture of it because the the worst thing that can happen and i've had this happen many times throughout my collecting career you might say you know you you look at your collection one day and you're like i don't like why do i have all of these different things like i'm not really interested in this player or this set but you just you kind of end up with a lot of stuff that you're really not passionate about and it's very easy to do that in this hobby. Oh yeah, it's definitely easy to be kind of influenced to just pick up cards because other people are picking them up. And you know, it's one of those things that we kind of all go through and everyone will go through. And I've actually as of lately been kind of thinking I'm like, you know what? I should probably go through and almost like audit the collection, <laughs> like go through and kind of look at stuff and be like, "Hey, are some of these things things I really want or do I just kind of have it to have it? And a lot of that, a lot of the reasoning behind that is because lately, I mean, I collect a little bit of everything. I just, when it comes to baseball, like I just love the entire history of the sport and the collectible. So I like to have a little bit from all the eras and I, I fully, I know sometimes in the past you've seen on social media, like the modern versus the vintage guys. And I'm someone who likes all of it. So I'm like, to me, how do you not kind of enjoy everything, uh, the entire kind of history of the sport and the different cards are just great, but I've really, um, you know, I'm going to do a little bit with hall of famers and of course all the modern guys, but I, I've really, I mean, I've always been a Phillies collector, but lately I've been trying to just continue to pick up like a one card from all the different sets produced. And at a certain point you start to really pick up all the common ones. So start to get into the more expensive sets that are just truly incredibly rare and really even tough to have that opportunity to purchase. So I start thinking to myself, I'm like, geez, I got so much that it's like at some point something's got to give, like you don't have an unlimited budget at all. So sometimes, you know, you have to go through and be like, you know what, maybe I can move a few of these and then take that money and add something that kind of better does fit the collection, something that is more meaningful. Yeah. Very well said. And that's, that's something that, you know, regardless of how long we've been doing this, we all struggle with that. And, you know, it's, it's very easy to, like you said, you know, you see, you see something that somebody else bought and you're like, man, I like that. So you get it and then you have it for a while and you're, and you know, after a while you're like, yeah, I don't you know, I don't really need this. I was kind of like an impulse buy, you know, uh, we've we've all done that, and I I always like think to myself, you know, if when I look at my collection, because I you know I like to look at my collection pretty often and just kind of you know look at the cards, enjoy the cards, and if I see something in there that I'm like, yeah, I really you know I really don't need that, I have no trouble moving that in order to to get something you know that I feel like fits my collection better. Yeah. I think it's important to do too, just to kind of continue interest to just kind of continue to improve the collection or, uh, update, upgrade the collection, however you want to phrase it. But I mean, your tastes are going to change. And I'd say in the past, you could always just go, eh, you know what? I could always rebuy the card if I want it with today's market. Yeah, who knows? Absolutely. It could double in price or triple in price by the time you decide to do that. It very good. It very well could, but you know, it's just the way it is, you know, with modern day players, of course, the price could always drop out from certain guys, you know, as well. So it's, uh, 
it's just, it's a pretty amazing hobby and it's way more like sometimes I'll talk to someone and they'll be like baseball cards. Like they still, it's becoming more popular, but you still have people who are like baseball cards. Like they still make them or isn't that something for like little kids that they used to do in like the eighties. It's like, no, that it's way more complicated of a hobby than that. You would, mine would go freaking melt if you had any clue how complicated the, uh, modern day uh card market is and ever evolving and changing yeah and you know like all of us are gonna have you know different budgets as far as like how much money we're gonna spend each month and there's regardless of how much that is there's always gonna be someone else out there that has a bigger collection than we do or you know a more valuable collection than we do and that's just part of it you just have to like you can't really you can't really worry about what this guy over here is spending. You have to, you know, stick within your budget. And I always kind of look at it, you know, if I'm if I'm looking at a card that I want, sometimes it comes down, you know, for some people that have like this this huge budget, you know, they can have this and that. But for me, sometimes it comes down to I'll be looking at one of the cards I have in my collection and it may come down to I can have this or that. So I'm always constantly evaluating that. And regardless of the value of the card itself, like if I have something and I see something that I would rather have, then, you know, I I have no problem, you know, moving this card to get that one. If I want that one more and that one would bring me more enjoyment to my collection. How do you uh, determine like which card, if you have an either or scenario, do you go with the one that's just, like for me, when I've been in that scenario, I'm like, oh, two things are at auction and I really can only get one. I typically go with the one that I'm like, this one is going to be way more difficult to find. Uh, again, it might take a year or two. So that's kind of where I'll oh, kind yeah. of try and Absolutely. make my decision. But it's still tough because it's like, damn, I really want both. I mean, if you have two cards that are equal value and this this card A only pops up once or twice a year, and card B, you know, you can find one pretty much any time you want to. Yeah, I go with the one that's only going to come up once or twice a year. Just because I know I can I can pick the other one up later. Even if it goes up, even if the other one does go up in value, I know that it's still going to be available. Whereas this other one, you know, it's it may not be available regardless of whether the price goes up, down, or stays the same. Here's another thing that just kind of popped in my head. And it's something that I've thought about, you know, in the past a little bit. But, you know, we look back now at some of that stuff from like the 90s, mid-90s, late 90s, even early 2000s. And the prices have gone kind of crazy. They're kind of tough. You know, we get stuff that's serial numbered to 100, 200, but they really don't come up very often. Like, what do you... Do you have any idea like what things are going to be like in 10 or 20 years? Obviously, who knows what's going to be happening in the world by then. But obviously, we're in a culture now where it seems like virtually everything's getting graded. PSA is completely overwhelmed. I still have at least one order that's out since December and a number that are out from early this year. SGC, they've obviously gained a lot of traction and they you know, can't handle it right now. They're running kind of a bit behind the, not quite at PSA levels, but obviously don't have quite the volume, but they're behind Beckett. I'm sure is behind. We have new players maybe coming into the game, but with everyone getting stuff graded, like 
do you think some of these serial numbered cards are going to like, is history going to repeat itself where it actually becomes difficult to find because they either get locked away in collections. I mean, I'd assume less will be destroyed, but it's just kind of weird to think about. Cause we've seen this a few times, even the old, uh, Donner's elites. I mean, they're not super valuable unless they're incredibly high grade, but they're numbered to 10, 20,000 and they don't come up as often as you would think. And now with the resurgence of the late nineties stuff, that stuff doesn't come up all that often. Like what's going to happen in the future with all these different color parallels numbered to five and 25. Like, are they just going to vanish into the collecting world? It's interesting because like, you know, speaking, like I can speak from the basketball card market because that's kind of, you know, been my focus for the last couple of years. And, you know, you take, you take a guy like a LeBron James, for instance, you know, some of his rare cards, you may not, even with the crazy prices right now, there's cards of his that are like, you know, some of the ones that are numbered to 10 and stuff like that. There hasn't been a public sale of some of these cards for three or four years. So the people that, I mean, absolutely on some of the more popular guys, the people that have them, they're definitely holding on to them because they know that, you know, they could sell it, get the money now, but they know that that's probably a card that if they if they decide down the line that they want to get one again, there may not be one available for a long time. Yeah, it's just like insane how things just kind of vanish. But you you get into like a mindset. It's like, oh, everyone's on social media and they just aren't. And everyone's, you know, breaking stuff and having to sell stuff. And that's not necessarily true either. There's plenty of people who are collecting and, you know, someone might pull a card number to five and they're just going to have it in their collection. Like it's not never going to be known with uh certain stuff. Like maybe like say the Juan Soto, I think he has a red refractor number to five from 2018 Chrome update. Like some kid could have gotten one for Christmas and not even known that much about it. It might be in some kid's drawer somewhere in this country. Like you don't, you have no idea like what ends up with some of these cards. Not every single one ends up on eBay. So Oh, exactly. Because, you know, those those packs that you could pull that Soto out of, those were not always expensive. So, yeah, those very easily could have ended up like in a kid's Christmas stocking or something like that. And he opened them and, you know, they might be sitting in the closet somewhere or something. You know, you just you just don't know. And then maybe 15 or 20 years down the road, maybe maybe that's going to be like, you know, one of the big finds. Like you, you see those a lot now with some of the vintage stuff that has been sitting in somebody's closet or attic for, you know, 50, 60 years that we may see stuff like that happen in 20, 25 years for us, you know, with some of this stuff right now. It's like, Hey, I just discovered this random card that says one of one on it of this guy. You know, is this guy any good? It's like, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. He was, he was pretty good (laughs) back in his day. It's like I said, there's so many different things, you know, in this hobby to kind of think about. You can easily have like a 24-hour discussion on the hobby, but somehow, some way, we've already uh, eclipsed an hour here uh, with our discussion. So it's definitely been a been a good time. Anything uh, else you wanted to touch on? Oh man, uh, not really. I mean, I once again, uh, thanks for having me on, Mike. It's been been a lot of fun just you know talking with you about the hobby. I mean. 
just uh just a spoiler here like for everyone out there you know you and i we talked for almost an hour before we even started this and just you know just had a great conversation just you know talking about so many topics and like you said there's just it's a never-ending learning experience this this whole hobby is so i uh you know i really appreciate your channel you provide a lot of great content a lot of great knowledge so i would encourage um you know anyone out there that's just getting into the hobby or even if you've been in the hobby for a long time you know check out mike oh um he's he's one of the legends here in the youtube sports card community oh also make sure at the same time you're checking out Andy, she blinded me with refractors. Check out his channel for tons of knowledge of basketball because you're not getting much of that from me, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but now you have an awesome channel as well, and it's it's a great community, and there's tons of great channels, and there's always new channels. So I always tell people, listen, if you're on YouTube, and this uh, this podcast is placed on SoundCloud and iTunes and YouTube, and obviously a lot of people listen to it on YouTube. But if you're listening to it on one of the other platforms, check out YouTube. There is tons of incredible information. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of channels and, you know, just do some research, just flip through, kind of keep searching and clicking from channel to channel, click on people. You see commenting on a lot of videos because there are a ton of people putting out videos that have an incredible amount of knowledge of this hobby. And there's so many levels to it, whether it's pre-war whether it's the vintage, whether it's the modern, whether it's breaking stuff, grading stuff. And these are people who have been in this hobby for a very long time. It's not necessarily all the flashiest channels or all the channels that maybe YouTube tries to push on you with their algorithm, but there's a lot of great information out there. So I certainly encourage everyone to uh, do their best to uh, kind of support all those channels and do yourself a favor and kind of great get a ton of knowledge um, from all these people who have been doing it for a long time. Yeah, and I guess like the last thing that I would say, Mike, the last piece of advice that I could give for for new people to the hobby is do not pay people for advice because out of all the people that I know in this hobby, the people that have the most knowledge, they won't charge you for it. Well said for sure. Andy, I appreciate you joining me on this episode of Hobby Talk. It flew right by. Hope to get to do it again at some point in the future, and hopefully we get to uh, meet up at another national, whether it be this December or perhaps Chicago 2021, maybe sometime beyond that. I think we uh, we still have a while before we know any of those answers, but either way, it's going to be uh, an incredible experience for everyone to get together and share the hobby and share their knowledge together and share... Uh, Share some moments of hanging out, having fun, looking at baseball cards, basketball cards, football cards, hockey cards, whatever you collect. It'll it'll be awesome. Looking forward to it, my friend. 